All right, I have a couple of comments from last week that I wanted to speak about. We are studying uh, the sin of David and Bathsheba coming out of Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we delineated the entire horrible episode last week where David effectively begins an adulterous affair with, with Bathsheba instead of being with the, the men of God who are fighting the Lord's battles. He stays at the, at the palace. He walks on the roof. Uh, and we said that he probably walked on the roof often, and he sees this beautiful woman, woman Bathsheba, bathing. Uh, and effectively, a lust comes into his heart. And we talked about the various steps of sin. And the lust grew and grew until it became an obsession. And then the obsession uh, moves on to reality, where he brings her to the, to the palace. He consummates this relationship uh, she gets pregnant. He decides that he has to protect himself uh, and brings her, her husband home for a short leave, Uriah, the Hittite, a godly man, one of the mighty men of David, by the way, brings him home uh, ostensibly to get him to go back to his house and sleep with his wife so that he can cover the, his own sin. But Uriah is too holy a guy to live that way when his men are fighting the battles of God, and he refuses to go and sleep inside. He stays outside. Uh, and we see this until finally David, in exasperation, sends him back to the front with a note to the general to put uh, Uriah at the battle's most hot point, and when it's raging, to pull back and leave Uriah exposed, and Uriah is killed. Not only is Uriah killed, but you understand that other soldiers in the area were killed. So there are multiple deaths that have taken place because of this sin of adultery that has grown and grown in the life of David. Um, and that's where we are right now, is we've concentrated on that sin. And, and I have a couple of comments that I want to make about this, understanding this. And you see here that stage six, I went through the various stages of sin, and the stage six is is where uh, sin brings death. It brings death. It either brings death to your life here in this world, to the relationships that you have with with family members. And by the way, we're talking here. We're using David as the paradigm, but sin is sin. Uh, for for some of us, it's not adultery. For some of us, it may be pornography. All right. Uh, for some of us, it may be gossip and slander, all right? There's any number of sins, and you can, you can slide in whatever sin that you're dealing with in the secret part of your life into, into this lesson. And so that sin, as it sits and grows, eventually brings death and loss and pain. You have only two choices when we deal with sin. Either you will walk away from sin Evil you, either you will ask God for redemption and forgiveness, and when we do, we know that the Lord will forgive you when you approach the throne of God, or you will die to it. You will die. And so this is an important lesson for us to understand. I want you to take a look, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. So you see, we, we will reap what we sow. 
it comes back. And so if you sow to lust, if you sow to, to sin, if you sow to the desperate nature of, of your heart, that will come back. Uh, and God will not be deceived. And here's the picture. Here is a man who will be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Here is a man who has been incredibly blessed by God, called by God, anointed by God, surrounded by God. And yet you see, with all that being said, this godly man still fell. You think it's possible that you might fall? You think that's a possibility? All right. Or are you sitting there and going, never me, no, 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 it's impossible. I'm just reading this as an interesting historical event. As I was saying, <laughs> you understand how, how sin pervades our life. And so even a godly man, even a godly man uh, can succumb to sin. So don't think you're above it, that it can't happen to you. All right? Be on, on your guard and be aware uh, and, and see this. I want you to look also, if you would. I mean, the point of this is, here's David who slew Goliath. How's that? Is that good enough for you? That he faced up to that evil force that God was with him? But you see how, how lust enters your heart? The same guy that slew Goliath falls for the feminine wiles of Bathsheba. All right? It does say something about how men are wired, though, doesn't it? Maybe we're better off facing Goliath, all right? It's probably easier to face Goliath, all right? It's probably easier to face Goliath. But if you know that you're wired in that way, that that's a weakness for you, you should be praying, Father, please protect me from these temptations. Help my mind. Help my sight. Keep me from falling in that direction. And you make that prayer, God will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer. He'll, he'll restore you and keep you strong. Turn to Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warmed, warned in keeping them, there is great reward. So you see, I mean, the, the scriptures are clear about this, that, that following the precepts of the Lord, following the commandments of the Lord, leading a righteous life, a godly life. And I know what you're saying, I'm not righteous. None of us are righteous. But attempting to walk in the way that God wants us to walk is what God wants. And as you walk in that way, when you walk that way in the light of God, you will be protected Yes, temptation will still come your way, but you're going to be protected and affirmed by Jesus Christ. Look also at Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? From, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. All right. Take up your cross and follow me. Walk with me. 
Submit to me. This is the lesson here, folks, meaning this, meaning that as we walk with Jesus, as we focus on the cross of our Lord and we walk that way, God is keeping us from temptation. As we follow his precepts, follow his commands, God is directing our paths and we are filled with the righteousness of God. We're not getting in the weeds. We're not looking in the weeds. You're not sticking on the computer in pornography and getting up early at night. You're not going up to the roof of the palace and looking for women bathing uh, in, a, in a nude condition because it, it appeals to your lustful nature. Why? Because you know you have a lustful nature. Why would I give an alcoholic a drink? And for some of us, it's the same thing. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Listen, this is a hard thing to preach on. Look, I'd rather talk to you about, you know, other kinds of things. But God has laid this lesson on our lives. This is important to understand how we are wired. We are wired and we're open to temptation. And this is a big deal. Look also at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. Wow. The wages of sin is death. Um, and, and yet, though, walking with God is eternal life. So how can any of us want to engage in that kind of conduct? How can we do that? And so there are a number of lessons to learn uh, as we study this. And let me just bring them out to you in, in order. First of all, temptation can come when, when I least expect it. I must always be on my guard. That's how temptation is. You think you're involved in some high act. You have no idea. You expect to be in a position where you won't receive temptation, and yet somehow it comes to you. Temptation comes into your radar. Be prepared. Ask God to protect you from that. Uh, number two, sin often happens when I am not positively engaged in godly activities when I'm not doing what I am supposed to be doing. There's an important one. If David had been with the men of God fighting the battle of God, he wouldn't have been up on the palace roof. He would not have been exposed to this. Could he have sinned anyway? Of course he could have sinned anyway. But he was not where he should have been. And that's a lesson for us. God wants, us, God wants to direct our paths. We should be engaged in activities that God has provided for us. Godly activities. Number three, I usually have a chance to stop myself if only I would take it. I usually have a chance to stop myself if only I would take it. Think about that. Uh, and, and does God give you the opportunity? Does he give you the warning? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand under it. Can you imagine? God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. If you are walking with God... Not if you're walking in the weeds. You understand? Not if you're making trips up to the roof multiple times. All right? But under the grace of God, even then, God will give you a chance. He'll convict you and say, don't go there. 
Don't do this. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your family. There's going to be such destruction beyond this simple act. You have no idea what you're, what you're going to do. And so God gives you the warning and he gives you the way out. Here's another point. Sin has a way of finding me out. It will be brought into the light. And here's a, a, a well-stated comment. Don't think you can hide your sin. Don't think nobody else will know about it. This is just my little, as I said last week, peccadillo. You know, I got it packed away here. Lord, you know I still love you. You know, Father, I still love my wife. I love my family. And yet this metastatic disease takes place in your life. Don't think that it's not going to affect you. You know, it, it metastasizes. It gets into your life. It gets into your relationships. You don't have the same relationship anymore with your wife. You don't have the same relationships you have with your children. And it's a downhill slide. And so it, it, it's so obvious to me that this is what happens. Uh, and trying to cover up the sin only makes it worse. This is the time when you need to come full confession and repentance and, and ask God to forgive you. And that's, a, that's what we're going to see here. Uh, and, and the lesson here also is that one sin leads to another. That's usually what happens, right? One sin leads to another. You may commit the sin. Now you, now you start to cover up, all right? Now you start to cover up. And it's one thing after another. And you bring more people into it. And more people are damaged. More people are wrecked. More people uh, are, are hurt. Um, the other lesson here is that sin has consequences. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to be with God, but there's a judgment in this world at the same time on your life. Don't think you walk away scot-free. Oh, I know God loves me. He'll forgive me. He'll forgive you, but you're going to see the judgments that, that infiltrate David's life in this next lesson as we get into it. It's so uh, amazing. And one of the things here is that God does not treat your sin when you confess it to him the way you deserve to be treated. And you're going to see that in this lesson because in this lesson, under the laws of Moses, David and Bathsheba both deserve to die. They both deserve to die. But God wouldn't do that. God forgave him. There are other pronouncements, other judgments, but God affected him. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's important to understand this. And so all these issues come out of sin. All of them come out of sin. Uh, and, and so now we're going to open up and look at the next episode in David's life. We're going to turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, and we're going to read now as David's sin is brought to bear, brought out, and the prophet Nathan will, will confront him. Say, 2 Samuel chapter 12, you can read along with me. Verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man reframed from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Can you, can you picture a more horrible story? 
All right? Is your blood pressure getting raised? Now you can imagine what David is, is hearing. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, and I want you to see this prophet taking his bony finger and sticking it into the king of Israel. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had had been too little, I would have given you even more Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was, was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves And he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. What an awful picture this is. You see the desperation of what sin Uh, bears out. And now you see the prophet of the Lord, God himself effectively fingering David and warning him uh, and and showing him about what he did. And he did it first by by talking about this story of the man who had a, a pet sheep, who loved it and protected it. It was all the man had. And yet the rich, powerful man took that sheep. And so you understand, David was outraged. You see how quickly we come and see the sins of other people? We have such 2020 vision, don't we? Oh, yeah. 
Look at the sins of that guy or that lady. I see it perfectly. But when it comes to examining our own lives, we're blind. We're blind. I mean, he should have recognized immediately this was a story about him. And yet he didn't see it. He, so here he does. He condemns himself before God. But, and not yet recognizing his own sin. And so Nathan makes this application to David. Uh, and, and I want you to see how God did this. First, as he did this, David, the, the Lord reminded David how he had blessed him. Look at that in verses 7 and 8. I want you to see God has blessed you. God has been with you. God has protected you. And this, he's speaking to us. Uh, and, and you say, I, I gave you your master's house, verse 8, and your master's wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. I gave you the kingdoms. And, I, and, and if, if this, all of this would have been too little, I would have given you even more. That's the kind of God we have, that he sits there and wants to pour multiple blessings into our lives. And we blithely blaspheme him and walk away from his will. And each of us has done this at some point in our lives. And I'm speaking of myself first. Notwithstanding all the blessings of God and all of the things that he has done for our lives, we walk away from time to time and we fall into patterns of sin that we shouldn't, shouldn't do, despite the fact that God has poured multiple blessings into our lives. Folks, let me make something very clear to you. You are where you are. You are in Naples, living the kind of life that you live here in Naples, not because you are all smart little boys who have worked very hard, but you are the men of God that God has raised up and blessed and poured blessing into your lives. And if you don't get that, then you got a lot to learn. Don't ever think it's because you have worked so hard and you're so smart. God has given you these blessings. And here was David, all these blessings. Here's a shepherd boy that now resides in the palace. And what does God say? If that were not enough, I would have given you more. And yet you blasphemed me. You walked away from me. Uh, and, and so what you see here is that this sin, and I would say sin in general, is personal to the Lord, certainly as it relates to men of God, people who have committed their lives to God. We've committed our lives to God. Now, when we walk away from this, God takes it personally, uh, and it's a very serious thing. Um, and so the, in these actions, David winds up despising the Lord uh, and blaspheming his will. And look at all, how many people died as a result of his sin. Well, we see that Uriah died. And think about Uriah's family. Then look about all those soldiers who were with him, because it wasn't just one guy that died. It was those soldiers that were around him. All of them died. The wreckage of their families, the wreckage of David's family, this infant child that's taken by God. All of this human wreckage because you wanted to walk up on the roof of the palace and see this attractive woman. God, deliver me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, protect me. Look, I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you what God says as it, as it relates to our sin. But the picture here is that God forgives us. 
He forgave David. All right? The law said that David should have been killed, both he and Bathsheba. But you see the forgiving nature of God. In love, God forgave him. It's incredible. Now, let's understand something. The judgment on David was that the sword would never depart from his house. That's in verse 10. You see that here. Uh, And it says, Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. You know, I love the way uh, the prophet phrases this. You notice he doesn't say Bathsheba. He doesn't just personalize Bathsheba. He calls her the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, don't you ever forget. She was the wife of the guy you murdered. He continues to call her that. In other words, uh, 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 making clear what the sin was, making clear that you understand the nature of the sin, making clear that you understand the severity of what you did, uh, and making clear that you have despised me. God is saying here that when we act like this, when we have been called to be godly men, when he has raised us up and blessed us and protected us, and we are supposed to be Christians walking with him, that when we sin, effectively what we're doing is despising God. And I know what you're saying. Oh, no, no, no. I love God. I would never despise God. No, but in your actions you do. In your life you do. Uh, and have you dragged your testimony? I mean, that's the big thing here. Have you dragged your testimony that you're a Christian, you're a godly man, you're saved? Have you dragged it uh, behind you, understanding that? And so you see here that David is saved. David's life will not be taken. Bathsheba is saved. Her life will not be taken. But look at this judgment, how, how, how God pinpoints the judgment. The sword, the very sword that you used to kill Uriah, that sword will never leave your home. Uh, and, and we know that as we study the scripture, we know that one of his sons, Absalom, would effectively rise up in revolt against David and seek, years down the line, seek to take the kingdom away from David. Not only that, Absalom would wind up sleeping with David's wives. The very prophecy that's here articulated will come to bear all within his family. And so the sword would never leave his family. The violence would never leave his family. And you see this, and that was broadcast publicly. People would all become aware of it. Uh, And so the results of God's promises are often delayed, both the positive aspect and the negative. And we know that because we saw that when God anointed David as king, it took 20 years before David would actually arise to that level. And likewise, when the judgments are pronounced on David, the negative pronouncements, that takes years to reach fruition as well as Absalom was, would, would be uh, uh, a young man and ultimately come to be a revolutionary and, and t- trying to take the kingdom away from his father. And so here's the point, and here's where this lesson really comes home. Uh, David now recognizes the desperate situation that he's in. He recognizes that the judgment of God is raining down on him. He recognizes that what he has done has been awful. He recognizes that he has blasphemed God, that he has violated God's will, that he has effectively broken the heart of God. Uh, And so now David confesses his sin. And here's the point. 
This is what God wants from us. He understands that we will fall. He will forgive us. But the question is, have you confessed your sin? And you look at this in in verse 13, uh, and he says it. uh, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And what I like about that is he doesn't concoct excuses. Oh, I'm a weak man. You know I love you, God, but I can't help myself. I have an issue with women. When I see a pretty woman, Lord, my eyes twitter. My heart jumps. And I start thinking of things I would like to be with her and do with her. And I'm weak, God. You created me this way. You know I'm weak. Does this sound like some of you? some of your excuses? Because I've used these. I've used these kind of excuses. Lord, I'm weak. You know I'm weak. I'm your creation. And he, but he didn't say that. You see this? He didn't say that. What does he say? I have sinned against the Lord. And that's the sin. I've sinned against you, Father. I've blasphemed you. I've denied you. What a powerful prayer this is. And you see this, and then you see the response uh, of Nathan. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, I want you to understand something. David didn't have to dress in sackcloth and ashes and purge himself for 30 days. I want you to see how God operates. God sees the heart. God looked at the heart and God recognized this is a broken man. He recognizes his sin. He is bowing in sin. He is asking for forgiveness. And I know what the judgment is, God says. I know you should die and Bathsheba should die, but I am forgiving you. Your sin has been taken away. Uh, Your sin has been removed. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die the very son of the union of David and Bathsheba would be taken. Now, I understand this is a hard one. People are saying that's an innocent child. Why should an innocent child have this be reaped upon him? And all I would say is, uh, he's God, you're not, and we don't understand him. You don't even understand yourself. And so you think you're going to be able to come to understand the reasons, the sovereignty of God? I can't begin to explain this. But I trust and love the Lord enough to know that that God is utter justice, utter purity. And I'm sure that the Lord saw the whole picture, and he recognized that here was the king of Israel who had committed this horrible act that the entire people now see the utter disregard that he had for the word of God? What would be happening to that country if the leader, the very king, did not serve God? And so no one is above the justice of God. That's what it means. It doesn't matter whether you're at the bottom of the rung or you're at the top of the rung. God's justice falls equally. And so, yes, as God saw this situation, because he had blasphemed the testimony of God, Because as the ruler of that kingdom, he had dragged God behind him in this terrible thing. Then there had to be recompense. And that child was taken away from him. Uh, And so you see this. And now what what I see here is 
the acknowledgement of sin and the mercy of God being turned over to David. God was merciful to David. I mean, honestly, can you imagine if somebody had done this to you, if you were God, you were in a position where if you had dispensed all this kindness, all this giving, and somebody had done this and ignored you and effectively blasphemed you, would you be able to forgive them? Uh, and you can just think about this, and yet you see how the greatness of our God and how his mercy endures forever. And so David lives, but all the consequences in this world are not removed. That's the thing. David is saved. David, David would live. David will remain to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. David will continue to do that. Um, and so the Lord expresses judgment, but he also dispenses forgiveness. So he strikes the union, he strikes the child of the union, even though David pleads. <clears throat> and by the way, this picture of David pleading for that child is awful, isn't it? Can you just see, can you just see what's going on there? Can you just recognize the pain that David has to be feeling looking at that child and seeing that child die day after day and recognizing that that child is dying because of you, you, you're effectively killing this child because it was your sin. And he's praying, agonizingly praying, cannot eat, cannot drink. And you recognize this. God is teaching us why we should not blaspheme the name of God. Who of us would want to go through this? None of us would want to go through this. And you see how God is directing our paths and warning us. Uh, and so immediately after the child dies, I, I, I love this picture. Immediately after the child dies, David worships God. He worships God. He gets up after the child is declared dead. He gets up and, and immediately begins to pray before God. And so David accepted both God's grace and his judgment on his life. He had confidence in God's love for him. He recognized that he had stepped out, and yet he recognized that God had mercy on him and love on him, uh, and that he understood that the child's death did not mean that God had stopped loving him. You understand this? The child's death did not mean that God had stopped loving him. That's important to understand this, that the judgments that God pronounces on us does not mean that God has stopped loving us. Effectively, it means he continues to love you because he wants to constrain you and help your character to grow and keep you from falling into these uh, proclivities. Uh, and so you understand this. And so, yes, David prayed for healing. He even prayed for healing even though he heard the judgment. Some people say, well, well why is that? Why did David continue to pray for this child when he heard the, the prophet say, this child will be taken from you? Well, I'll give you a good scripture on that. Turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. What does that mean? It means even when God has purposed to send calamity, when he has purposed to do something in terms of judgment, that there are possibilities that God can relent. And David was aware of this. 
He was aware that this, took, that this could take place. And so David is praying, effectively praying for the intervention of God to change his mind. But in this particular instance, it would not take place. God would not change his mind. And so interestingly enough, we see in this latter part of this chapter that David would comfort Bathsheba after the infant passed. Now, sometime afterwards, Bathsheba would become pregnant and she would give birth to the next child and the next child would be named Solomon. Now, I can't think of a better picture of the generosity and mercy of God that he would effectively allow this union to prosper, even though it had come together in an awful way that God would forgive him. He would forgive David. He would forgive Bathsheba. And now when this child is born, this Solomon would be born, God would bless this child. And Solomon would become the wisest man in the Middle East. We see a number of passages in the Bible about him, books of the Bible. And Solomon would ultimately build the temple of the Lord. All of this from, from a, a, a boy who would come from Bathsheba, who would have been brought into the palace by David in one of the lowest conditions ever. The lesson is that God forgives when you approach him with a brokenness of heart. When you approach him and say, Father, forgive me, God will forgive you. He is merciful. His suffering is longstanding. He will be with you. And yes, even though there are repercussions, I want to assure you all that when you come to God and ask him for this, he will forgive you. He will take your sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. That is the beauty of our God. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this picture of David. I thank you for your forgiveness, Father. I ask you in every way to seal this story in our heart. Help us to grow with you, Lord, as we reflect on these lessons. Be with our men. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.